podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Daily Red, your lunchtime catch-up on all things Liverpool FC. And as the dust settles on a Liverpool 2, Brighton 2, it's nice to have another bit of space between it, a little bit of time to look back on the game. Obviously, we did Raw directly after the game and we knew at the time what the issue had been. The midfield was appalling on the day. Salah wasn't at his very, very best, which is understandable. Considering the form he'd been in, he was always going to have a slight dip. And it's not that he was bad. He was quite good in the game. He got an assist for the Henderson goal. Jordan Henderson put Liverpool one up after four minutes. Basically a carbon copy of his goal against Crystal Palace last season in the 7-0, arriving on the edge of the box and a first-time strike into the far corner past a flailing goalkeeper. Brighton had had an early chance before that, though, and it, it did it did sort of encapsulate what would develop throughout the game. Liverpool's defensive line not working particularly well. Andy Robertson, for some reason, has developed a really bad habit of standing about two to three yards behind the rest of the defenders. Now, whether that's him gambling that he might need to sweep across, I don't know. But it threw the line out completely. And Solly March really should have scored uh, before we went one up. After we went one up, Brighton started to come into the game and play a bit of football. But we still looked the better team. But on 20 minutes, Naby Keita, who had recovered from his injury, suffered against Manchester United, went down and had to go off. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain was summoned from the bench. And he's come in for a lot of criticism for his performance in this game. And a lot of it is warranted. He was not good. He wasn't really effective on the ball or off the ball. And he was, to be fair, he was very poor off the ball. But he did get an assist five minutes later, a brilliant cross from the inside right channel onto the head of Sadio Mane, who beat the keeper very well. Really good movement from Sadio and a really good header. Great goal. 2-0 up, slightly unwarranted, but you did feel, right, Liverpool will pull away now. That'll take some of the fight out of Brighton and the Reds will pull away. Brighton had set up in a 4-2-3-1 formation with March on the right, Lalana as the 10, Motor as a left winger and Trossard playing up front as a false nine. As soon as the second goal went in, Graham Potter was on his feet and he changed things. And he pulled Motor back into midfield and he went three across the midfield with March tucking in and Lalana still operating in kind of a free roll. Trossard up front. And that 4-3-2-1 formation caused us all kinds of trouble. Basuma, Mwepu and Motor, their athleticism, their aggression, their willingness to carry the ball, their ability to pass the ball through our midfield, really started to turn the game in their favour. And they had some threatening chances. Basuma strode onto the ball in midfield. Nobody came close to him. And he got a shot away from about 20 yards, 25 yards, that Ali did really well to tip around the corner. We didn't learn from that, though. And their goal, scored just before half time, was well warranted, well deserved. It had been building to that. Mwepu wins the ball, plays it to Lalana. Lalana plays it wide and makes a run. The defence drops to go with Lalana. 
And Wepu is in yards and yards and yards of space. He's about 25 yards out on a bit of an angle. Ball comes to him. He doesn't think about it. He doesn't take a touch. First time, he unleashes a strike, which bends and dips past Allison into the net. It's a brilliant goal. A lot of people said in the immediate aftermath it was a fluke. And full disclosure, I thought it was as well on first watch. I thought it was a cross. I thought he'd gone for that Henderson cross to the back post that never works. But it wasn't. When you watch the goal back, it was a deliberate shot, a deliberate effort on goal. And it worked out brilliantly. A phenomenal goal by Enoch Mwepu, who's had a tough time since joining Brighton, didn't settle in very quickly, struggled to adapt to the pace of the Premier League. But I thought on Saturday he had a very, very good game. I thought Basuma ran the game for the first... Well, after the the injury to Naby, I thought Basuma really took control. I thought he ran the game up until he went off. He has a Ginny Wijnaldum-like ability to retain possession. Even when our players managed to press him, he just turned and stuck his arse into them, kept the ball, found a teammate, kept things moving. When given time and space in the ball, he's a very progressive player, be it carrying or passing the ball. And lining up 3v3 in midfield, he is Jordan Henderson's responsibility, and Henderson never got close to him. Motor ran off the back of Ox, Wepu ran off the back of Jones, and we just couldn't deal with them in midfield. Got to half-time 2-1, and that was a fair result. Straight into the second half, we break. Mane plays the ball through to Salah, who rounds the keeper and scores. But unfortunately, he'd gone a little bit too early. And either he went too early or Mane delayed the pass. You can look at it either way. But that was basically it for us in terms of chance creation. We really struggled to get any kind of traction in the game after that. And from there, Brighton were the better team. There's no doubt Brighton were the better team for the majority of the second half. Their second goal comes as they break down the left. Our midfielders are jogging, jogging back. Ox gets drawn too close to the ball. Henderson, for some reason, is marking Lalana as they enter our half and then drifts towards the ball. Maybe he assumes Curtis Jones is deeper than he is, but Jones was quite far forward and doesn't get back. Lalana picks the ball up on the edge of our box with nobody close to him. He's got Trissard to his left. He's got a runner to his right. He can use either of them. Solly March is wide open. But the biggest issue is that Andy Robertson is playing them onside. He's playing both of them onside. So Virgil can't commit to do anything. Because of the lack of midfield protection, Konate had to step out and try and challenge before the ball got to Lalana. Now, I think Lalana took the wrong option by playing it to Trossard because Robertson had already gambled to go that way. I think if Lalana sees Robertson, he switches it across to March, who is left-footed, and it would have been a very easy one-time hit for him. But he plays it to Trossard, and Trossard does really well then to beat Andy Robertson. Is it Robertson or Virgil? He beat one of, one of Robertson or Virgil, gets inside, and shoots to the near post. Ali has no chance with the goal. Ali made a number of great saves in this game. I've seen some people fault him with the first goal. I, You could say maybe he should do better, but the dip, the angle, 
the sun in his eyes. It's it's difficult for him. The second goal he can do nothing about. But we look all at sea. We're getting absolutely battered at home by Brighton and Hove Albion at this point. And they're a really good team. Like they're a team to really admire. They've got really good players. Dunk is a good player. Uh, his highlight of the game was dribbling about 40 yards across the field. Um, Cucurella at left back is very good. They brought on Tariq Lamptey. He ran the game. He he came on. We couldn't get close to him. We did get close to him. We had to foul him. Or he just burst away from our players. And he came close to creating a couple of really good chances for them. The three boys in midfield that started. And then McAllister who came on for Basuma. And you thought when he came on, we might be able to get some physical dominance in midfield. Because he's not the most physical player. But again, we couldn't get close to him. Couldn't find him on the pitch. Just kept finding these pockets of space and pinging the ball around, opening us up. Very, very concerning performance from Liverpool. And with Naby injured now, he joins Fabinho, Thiago, Harvey and Milner. All out injured. That's five midfielders. All out injured. We have three midfielders left. So... You know, there was some mocking of people who suggested we needed to buy a player to replace Ginny Wijnaldum. We missed Ginny in this game. We missed him massively because people want to focus on the lack of progressive passing, the lack of involvement in the attack, the lack of assists, the lack of goals, whatever. What Ginny Wijnaldum was for us was he was a release valve when we had the ball. When an attack broke down and someone got trapped they could just play it to Ginny and Ginny would take care of it he would hold the ball find a man settle the game down release some of the pressure in the game and allow us to reform and rebuild and go again he rarely gave the ball away could give it to him if pressed he didn't care if he was pressed two three men didn't matter to him he'd stick his arse out he'd play it through the legs Ginny Wijnaldum's ball retention, his press resistance is absolutely out of this world. And we missed that at the weekend. Defensively, he was our safety blanket. We all laud Fabinho, and rightly so, for how good he is defensively. But it's often overlooked that a big part of how good Fabinho was defensively was how intelligent and how good Ginny Wijnaldum was defend- defensively. And if you look at the the title winning season when Fabinho got hurt and Henderson went in there. Henderson had a really good four month spell. He'd been really poor as an eight get gets moved into the six. When Fabinho goes, goes out of the team and rightly got a lot of praise. You know, he got too much praise. He didn't deserve to win footballer of the year, but a massive part of his effectiveness as a number six was Ginny Wijnaldum. Because when we would attack, the right-sided eight has always been the more attacking one. The left-sided eight is the recycler of the ball, but he's the more defensive-minded one. And much of our football under Jurgen Klopp in the last couple of years, while 4-3-3 on paper is a 4-4-2 in possession, with that right-sided eight becoming an attacker and Ginny tucking in next to Fabinho, and that gives us more solidity. It also allows the two fullbacks to push on, knowing that Ginny can drop one side, Fab can drop the other. 
or if Gomez is at centre-back, you'd often see Fab drop to centre-back and Gomez go right back when we would face a counter-attack. Ginny allowed Fab to be aggressive in his ball winning, to go and find the ball and win it back for us, knowing that Wijnaldum would sit in. It was very similar to what Chelsea had when they had Matic and Canton. And Matic and Ginny are obviously very different players, but Matic's positional awareness and his discipline allowed Kante to be here, there, and everywhere winning the ball back. And that's what we had with Ginny. He would drop in and Fab would just go and take the ball off whoever had it and allow us to compress the pitch, allow us to shorten the pitch and really force the issue. Without him, we don't have that in our team. Now, what we do have in Thiago is a player who can control the game. And Thiago is a much better defensive player than people give him credit for. Just because he picks up some yellow cards... People think he's not a, a good defensive player. His positioning is excellent. He reads the game brilliantly. He's always two steps ahead. He doesn't need to have the, pa- the pace of a Wijnaldum. What he has is anticipation. And he just know where to be instinctively. He was used to playing in a midfield too as well. So he would drop in with Fab. And we saw the last 10 games of last season. How easily we were running games. And then we had Ginny as well. So those three could do it, and you could have Ginny pushing on or Thiago pushing on, knowing that there were still two. This midfield didn't work at all. Another poor performance from Henderson. He's had three good games this season. Burnley, Watford, and City uh, and United. All as a six. All of them against teams that didn't attack us through the middle of the field. But United still broke our defensive line seven times. It's just that they were so bad in the final third, it didn't make a difference. You'd wonder how that game would have gone if Fernandes had taken his early chance. Either way, Henderson has been poor in the number six position against Atletico Madrid, and now in this game, and all his games as a number eight this season have been poor. Ranging from poor to absolutely shocking, like against Brentford, like against City, like against Chelsea. It's concerning. He is the senior midfield player. Ox is a squad player at this point. And the issue we have with Ox is that since the knee injury, he's never been the same player. He doesn't have that dynamic burst anymore. He's never been able to get into any kind of rhythm because he's never had a consecutive run of starts. I could be wrong on this, but I would bet Ox hasn't started five or six competitive league games for Liverpool in a row since the knee injury. Because whenever he's had a bad game, Klopp's left him out of the team. He's never allowed him to play play himself into form and then play through bad form. Curtis Jones is still very young. He's still learning. He's also not defensive-minded in the slightest. And he doesn't fit that left-sided role. He can't play there. He was good there against Porto. Because Porto sat off. And Porto rolled over. But aside from that, Curtis's performances haven't been great this season. He doesn't look comfortable in that left-sided role. He's fine on the ball. But he's very attack-minded. Now, him on the right of the midfield, I could absolutely see working. Because he's a creative player. He's got good control. He's nimble. He can slip the ball between the lines. 
and carry the ball and pass it quite well. But that left-sided role, the nuances of that left-sided role were the most underrated thing about Liverpool the last three years. Ginny Wijnaldum is not appreciated by the majority of people who watched him play for six years. It's incredible that people don't grasp how important he was. After Fabinho, he's the most important and best midfielder of the Jurgen Klopp era. From season one to the end of his time. Five years, not six. And people want to say, oh, he's looking at him doing badly at PSG. It's irrelevant what he's doing at PSG. He's playing under a different manager in a different system with a front three who don't do any work. He's being asked to carry an enormous defensive load. Even when he was playing as a number 10, he was having to do an incredible amount of defensive work. This game highlighted the fact that we missed Ginny Wijnaldum. And people say, oh, it's an overreaction. It's one game. We're still unbeaten. It's not one game. You see, these issues were there when we won games as well, but people chose to ignore them. And it reminds me of when Lovren would play and he'd make mistakes and we would win games and you, you would get criticised for criticising him. You'd get torrents of abuse. Oh, we won. Scoreline reactions, not performance reactions. You have to separate the scoreline from the performance. For example, Jordan Henderson scored. On Saturday. But he played terribly. He was a 4 or 5 out of 10. I saw somebody say he was man of the match. There's no logic to that. He did not play well. He was outright bad. We've won games this season. Where individuals such as Henderson have not played well. We beat Atletico Madrid with Naby, Henderson and Milner all having poor games. You have to separate the scoreline from the performance. And the performance is important because when players develop bad habits or when players fail to do certain parts of their job in a win, it's really concerning. Because if they're not doing them in a win, the likelihood is they won't do them in a loss either or a draw, as was the case here. Lovren would make mistakes regularly. We'd win games because we had good players. And then people would say, well, what are you criticizing for? We won. And then they'd be stunned when he'd make the same mistake the following week and we'd lose. Or didn't see that one coming. Well, how didn't you see it coming? It was there last week, the week before, the week before. All of these little mistakes he would make would lead to big mistakes. And with Curtis, it's the same thing. It's the gambling and being too far forward when the ball's on the other side of the pitch not knowing when to hold your position, not knowing when to be alive to the potential of a counter-attack if we lose the ball, not being aware of the numbers behind you, not being aware of runners. Those things were prevalent in games we won this season with him playing there. So of course they're prevalent again this weekend because he doesn't know any better. That role doesn't suit him. That's a concern. Ox is a concern. And the captain is a massive concern. His form is really poor. Defensively, he's not doing the work required. Whether it's whether he can't or he just won't, I don't know. 
He's never been a good defensive player. He's always been a massively overrated defense. Henderson's a really good front foot defensive player. He's a good attacking defensive player in that he'll create turnovers. He will create chaos in an opposition midfield. But he's never been good at tracking runners. He's never had a good positional sense. He doesn't have tactical discipline or spatial awareness. And these things matter, especially when you play number six, and especially against a team that are progressive under a very good manager with very good players in the middle of the park. And we gave that man a four-year contract in the summer. He's 31. He's been hugely injury-prone through Klopp's entire tenure. Four season-ending injuries in six months, in six years, four of them. He looks like a player whose legs are going as well. It looks like his legs are failing him. He cannot sprint at the moment. He just can't. Now, whether that's because he's trying to protect himself, I don't know, but it's hurting the team. Fabinho and Thiago can't get back soon enough. And Liverpool desperately need them in that team. Uh, We'll jump around the main Liverpool websites. Obviously, most of the coverage comes from the game at the weekend. So this is AnfieldLiverpool.com and Anfield Index all have bits and pieces on that. Uh, There is a piece on This is Anfield about Ivan Toney, who said in an interview he would love to join Liverpool, even as a squad player where he would come in and make himself the main man. And I would back him to do that. And I've seen people on social media today suggest that it would be too big a move. Well, I'm not sure it would. It's not a bigger move than Southampton to Liverpool. It's not a bigger move than Hoffenheim in 2015 to Liverpool. It really isn't. I think Ivan Toney would be a great signing for us. As a number nine who can lead the line, but also do all of the the legwork. I think Ivan Tony could adapt to the Firmino role and add more of a goal threat to it. Because that role is like a nine and a half. It's not a nine. It's obviously not a false nine anymore, the way it was earlier in Klopp's tenure. It is more like a nine and a half where you play a little bit deeper, sometimes at the tip of a diamond. But Mo is the main goal scorer coming in. Sadio's the secondary goal scorer. Bobby was a 10 who got made into that into that role. Tony would be a 9 stepping back, but I think it would suit him. I think he's a brilliant player. Uh, there is a piece on Ozan Kabak. Liverpool fans all say the same after costly Ozan Kabak error for Norwich. This is um this is just not not a thing because his error should not have been costly. When he loses the ball, there are six Norwich players deeper than him. Rodrigo's shot is not a good shot. It's very central. The goalkeeper should save it very easily. It's a routine save for the goalkeeper. Finds its way into the net. That's not an Ozan Kabak error. That is a Tim Krul error. Simple as that. Um, On Liverpool.com, the media roundup, Jurgen Jurgen Klopp requests unbelievable double... Liverpool transfer as Luis Suarez names Liverpool role model. So apparently the players Klopp is looking at, one of them is Luka Jovic, 
of Real, Real Madrid, who has not done well since joining, but was brilliant before that at Eintracht Frankfurt. Another player there is Harvey Barnes, currently out of the team at Leicester. Uh, not not a, a regular starter for them, in and out of the team, I should say. Uh, really good player. Really, really good player. I would very much be in favour of bringing him in. Um, there's also a piece there. Liverpool have perfect £18 million Roberto Firmino replacement ahead of Liverpool, yeah, ahead of the January transfer window. Piece about Musa Barrow, who's a good player. Uh, I don't think he's a Firmino replacement personally. Um, I think he'd be a good squad addition. On AnfieldIndex.com, Stephen Smith has his player ratings up, so make sure to give those a read. Um, there is post-match raw. If you missed the under pressure on Friday night, where the boys looked at the United pressing against us, make sure you listen to that. And on the free side, there is the latest Anfield Index podcast, episode 301, entitled Photo Opportunities. Trev, Cam, Lisa Marie and Mr. Drinkle all getting together uh, to discuss some Reds-related stuff, uh, some inspirational quotes and assorted guff about life in general. Do be sure to give that one. There was a Gags Tandon show after the Brighton game as well. Coming out today, there will be a new AI scouted, myself and Carl looking ahead to Atletico Madrid and also having a quick look at the managerial vacancies now in the Premier League after Nuno Espirito Santo was sacked by Spurs. Uh, so that's it for today. I will see you tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Sports Social Podcast Network.